It's time for Stars on Sports, a podcast radio show dedicated to sharing stories about our athletic program at Lansing Community College. LCC Athletics has a strong tradition. 23 national championship wins. Over 170 All-Americans. 19 MCCAA All-Sports trophies. Stars on Sports will introduce you to individuals that have contributed to our program's success and give you the backstory on what it takes to develop it. We'll also dive into and break down the topics and issues facing athletic departments across the nation and right here at LCC. This is Stars on Sports. Hello and welcome to another episode of Thards on Sports. And today's exciting because Stephen is on spring break down in Mississippi for some baseball games and warm weather. So I'm joined by Dedalian, our producer today. And, you know, it's exciting. Dedalian has been behind the scenes for our podcast for a number of episodes. And it's good to have him on the air because he provides valuable feedback. But his background is music, so I thought today we would we would combine music and sports and how much they're integrated. You know, Stephen and I always talk about how music and sports are the two platforms that bring people together. And I like music as one of my ways to relax or or debrief and calm myself. I was in the band back in the day, so I don't, I'm not afraid to to say that. So I've always tried to have a good working relationship with the music departments in the high school setting or in college because they're an integral part of our college and of the athletic department. And there are very similarities between the two. I mean, the music department, they practice every day and then they usually compete at a, a festival or a contest, very similar to athletics, practicing and then using that to compete and then reflect and either get graded. I remember back in the solo and ensemble contest days, you got a one or two rating or even at a festival as as an orchestra or band, you'd get a rating that's similar to a performance in in athletics. You either get judged by a rating in like gymnastics or, or you compete against another team and you do similar things in music. So there's a lot of similarities there today and athletics relies on music for a lot of things. Student athletes, you know, rely on them to calm them down or pump them up. Administrators use them to fill time or to pump up the crowd or so many different things. We, we start the contest with national anthems. And it's funny, I've been in this business for 25 years and there's one that lasts a minute and 14 and there's one that lasts over two minutes. And some people get mad if you're not patriotic enough to play a, a very professional one and some get mad if it's too long. And sometimes they don't work at all. I, I was telling Dad Dallian before we went on the air, I always joke, if I get through the national anthem, I'm good to go because then it's in the officials hand to start the game. But I got to make sure the national anthem plays. And there's been times where students have said the wrong words and run out crying. There's been times where... I, I've had it on my phone and it, it skipped. Like or the, Like the student that was singing? Yes. Or saying the wrong we word? We had a packed gym a couple of years ago in a big tournament and she just lost her train of thought. You know, and, you know, we've had some bad performances over the years that we went to getting recommendations from the music department and making sure the student practiced or tested before them, before they came to them. Because I got a lot of requests saying, hey, I'd like to sing the national anthem for them. And you want to showcase your students' Certainly. ability, especially from other departments. And they're really good. It's much better than playing a, 
a recording or such. But yeah, there's there's probably been two or three times over my career where the student um, unfortunately forgot the words or got caught up and. You know, we've had some, they're performing in front of large crowds. That's um, a nerve wracking situation, no matter who you are. It is. It's like public speaking and you, you're doing it in the classroom in front of your teacher is much different than doing it in front mm-hmm. of 2000 yeah. people, which were, yeah. were, were, and she ran out of the gym crying and, you know, we went to try and console her and take care of her. And you've seen it on TV and other, other events. And, you know, the, the backup plan is always the pledge allegiance if it doesn't work, but it's the first thing of your event. You want it to go well. You want to start Certainly. the event off right, and and you want to be patriotic. There's discussion on should you do it before each game or just the first game of the night or the highest level of the night, and you get feedback on good or bad on why don't you play it before every game or why do you only play it once? You're not patriotic and such. So it's a very important part of the event, and, and every sporting event across the country plays the national anthem. You know, we had protests a couple of years ago during that, so you, you tried to figure out to make sure you, you're prepared for how to handle those situations. You have situations where you just want to make sure that it, it's it's played in in the right way so that it's respectful to your country and the and the veterans in the crowd. Mm-hmm. So so it's an important way to start me. There's there's discussion of not playing it. There's discussion of who needs to be out there when you play it. You know, there's some level that the teams aren't out there for the national anthem. It leads in the other discussion of, you know, if you have a band or a pep band that plays and, and I'm a big believer of having your other departments on campus, to, I would love for us to get a pep band here at LCC. Some prefer just playing DJ music. Some schools hire a DJ for athletic events to play mm-hmm. music. So there's a lot of different options, but it's it's very important. You know, it, it's fun. When I'm athletic events, I you know, I was at a, a hockey game this weekend, and, you know, I'm downloading songs that they were playing. I think, I need this on my playlist. And, again, it's a way of music just making you feel good. I would have never thought that that much would go into the Star Spangled Banner and the process of that. And that's one of the things that I love about sitting in on the shows with you and Steve is listening to you guys talk about a lot of the things that I wouldn't realize goes into what you do. And that just isn't one of the things that I thought would be that big of a concern. You throw somebody out there, they sing, and then you're done. It, it, but it makes sense as you say it, yeah. Yeah, you want everybody standing. Again, I use an instrumental by uh, one of our military bands, usually is what I use to play. Mm-hmm. And you just want it to be right because it's important to many people. And it, and and it's a set the tone for the event, too. If something goes wrong, then you're thinking this is a good and first impression. And that's the first thing we do at an athletic event. And then we go into our introductions. So mm-hmm. and then it, it, again, then it has to carry over to the rest of the event and and to the point of, of how important music is. And as I talked about warm up music at the high school level, my principal would come to me at least once a year and want to cancel us playing warm up music because he got a phone call because it was inappropriate and had bad words or bad connotations in it and there's companies out there now that will provide it for you there again you can hire a dj but we usually screen it before we play it at this level there seems to be a little more i don't want to say acceptance of different genres but the older people in the crowd think might think the music's too loud or that i didn't come to a band concert or or a, a concert to, you know, I've had people complain to me before, but, but the events for the student athletes and your student body that you want to try and cater them and, and find genre that interests them. The portable speakers are huge. We have one up in our storage room and some bring their own and set it underneath the basket. Baseball cutter would tell you would have, you know, walkout songs, which is pretty cool determining sure. what those are. 
you know, at the high school level, we had an app on the phone. Every kid that came up, you pushed their name and the, you know, 20 second blurb of their song oh. would come out and you want it to be cool. I mean, it, it does set the environment for the event. So I love music. It's an integral part of what we do. What do you think? What, what's the first song that you think of when you when you think of a sporting event that that comes to to your mind? I'd have to say there's two that I, I mean, as you've been talking, two mm-hmm. two that came to my mind automatically. Uh, you got ACDC's Thunderstruck. Mm-hmm. That's always been a favorite of mine. And then of course, Two Unlimited. Y'all ready for this? Uh, you know that that always comes to mind. It's a lot of that Jock Jams kind of stuff. Yeah, Jock Jams with a big CD. It was, and the they day. they sold those like crazy they, too. Because it's such an important part of the event, and and now it's even again an administrative technique um, to pump up your crowd throughout the game, or you know, in my eyes, to to minimize crowd levels of dissatisfaction that you can drown them out a little bit by playing a song, and and it's been proven that that music. It helps you feel better. It helps you control your emotions. And that's why a lot of student athletes use it in warm-up music. You know, AirPods now, they all have their own music. In the locker rooms, you can hear it blaring to get them pumped up. But there is a lot of research out there that it does help you control your emotions. One, it distracts you. But two, it, it might help you remember something good that, you know, will prepare you to, to succeed in, a, in a, a high moment of the of the contest. That, oh, definitely. Music pumps up. adrenaline just as much as anything. So, you know, and I found the, uh, the inappropriate thing, the comment there, that that is very interesting. And the fact that as I, we were talking about Jack Jams, I was thinking of some of the songs that used to play on there. And I remember... Whoop, there it is. That back in my day was considered inappropriate, but now you hear it, not a big deal. Yeah, and, and that's the tough thing with, with music is the different standard, the distinct taste that people have. As I mentioned, when you have an athletic event, you bring a lot of diverse people together and, and mainly age where some of the older people might not like the, the younger music that's heard. And there's some classics out there, Sweet Caroline, oh, yeah. Eye of the Tiger, you know, that you hear at a, Don't Stop Believing. That's probably one of my favorite that you, you hear at a lot of athletic events. Well, even Sweet Caroline's though, that, that's got like a holler back. And if you're in the wrong place, the holler back has some pretty uh, graphic lyrics, we'll say, or holler back. Uh, I believe one institution banned it, yes. uh, a large institution, be, because of because that. Because of that, yeah. yeah. So, and you can't even win for that. I mean, well, you know, Sweet Caroline, you don't get much more <laughs> chilled out than that. That's exactly right. In certain situations, you, you can't win. And to your point of what's appropriate, not appropriate, we all probably have our own set of values. I mean, there's probably a general set values of values. And it changes with time. It sure does. It sure does. Um, but but it's cool, um, and it is an important part of the event. And some stadiums are known for the song they play. Like, I believe Wisconsin this year in football, I think they play Jump Around or, or Pump It Up, and the whole stadium is just rocking and shaking. And then at the University of Michigan, they play Mr. Brightside, and, and they play like the, the song for 30 seconds, and then a, they turn it off, and 100,000 people sing the chorus line. Well, that's pretty cool. It is cool. I mean, uh, Jump Around, That's I'm assuming you're talking about House of Pain, and that, that was another one that was not quite <laughs> accepted back in the day. Yeah. Uh, yes, but it, great tune, and it definitely hypes up the crowd. They are great tunes, and that's what you want, the environment uh, to be a positive environment. It's not a band concert. We didn't come to a band. It's definitely an athletic event, but if you're clever enough, and, and it's a administrative skill because you have your public address announcer that wants to talk too, so you have to balance when the music plays and, and when the public address announcer is supposed to speak and, and how to coordinate that, mm-hmm. and we've had issues where 
certain people were mad because they spoke over them or the, the, or the music played over the, the public address announcer. And good public address announcers know to try and balance that and, and let it play. And, and in some institutions, the public address announcer is in charge of the music. That way they can play it and certainly and definitely when they're done talking. So it's it definitely an art of even managing throughout the game of you know, when to play and when not to play, what to play, what not to play. And, and some are very funny and creative and, and, and tie right into the event. You know, like if there's a long video replay, they play the Jeopardy theme and, mm-hmm. you know, so it definitely is an integral part of athletic events. So it, it's, I'm trying to do better here at LCC. We don't always consistently play and I'd like to do more than that. I had some discussions with our music department last year about getting a pep band at our basketball games. And again, I mentioned that, you know, there's some people that like that idea and there's some people that want the music from a DJ or, or stereo system, but showcasing your student athletes or students is what it's about. And whether it's, you know, your students singing the national anthem or having your pep band, we have our media class that live stream all our events. Jeff Hamlin does an excellent job with his classroom and, you know, they have four cameras out there and they live stream our basketball and volleyball games, indoor events. We're hoping to get them to, to do outdoor events in the future, but the same with the music department that they can become an integral part of the athletic event, at least at certain contests. And, you know, they would play the classic songs and even the national anthem, which would take one task right off of me because I'm the right, one I'm right. making sure my phone's on silent and I have the right <laughs> song and not the one before or after playing. And, you know, now I use a chord because last year twice when I Bluetooth, it, it skipped in the middle of the song. So you just, I you just got to, it's crazy how much time I do prepare. A text for. from the wife and the right in the middle of the uh, <laughs> right. high note there. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Anything can happen. You, you got to prepare for everything um, in this business. And music adds a whole nother level to that. And that's why some people don't use it or, and I, I and we haven't utilized it to um, our advantage yet and even across all sports at cross country meets and track meets they you know they now have music in the background when they're running and that's good it usually helps you when you're running long distance you know obviously the easy ones are the basketball and and volleyball ones indoor our baseball team they play music in between innings and have walk-up music and I'm hoping our softball team can get to that too and and again some of it is that coordination with the public address announcer and them buying into that environment and that's not always the case some some public address announcers want to hear themselves talk and 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 think it's about them but fortunately here at lcc we have good ones that i think um, we can make it happen so that's a goal of ours to continue to integrate music into our athletic events you know, I meant to have it prepared here. We have a fight song here at LCC that I was Oh, you should have said something. You know, and an alma mater. Um, you know, if you give me a little time, I might be able to pull that up. We'll have to see. It, it's an older version, and I, there has been discussion to uh, modernize it. But how important fight songs are to sports teams. And, you know, they rate them every year. You play it after every big event at the athletic contest so you rally behind it it, it kind of goes with your brand and, and who you are and what you're known for or whether you like it or don't like it or you don't want to get caught up in the rivals fight song but you know going through the archives we did find that lcc had one that was developed back um when this in the i, I think it was like the 50s or yeah, the 60s the 50s, which athletics started in, in the late 60s here so it was before the college itself um, was established in 57 so yeah it had to be it had to be early 60s is what i'd guess and 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 from the 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 sound of it it sounds like from that air too especially you know fight songs have a lot of different motives and some are real like 
fast and energetic and some are more, you know, melodic and even keel. But, and I think that's more on the LCC side. We also have an alma mater that a lot of schools play at the end of their game for their alumni. The incident happened at Michigan State a couple weeks ago, and they had to go play at their rival Michigan right after that. They chose to play the alma mater instead of the fight song to, to try and balance that rivalry, yet you know, the alma mater is a little more professional and, and classy as opposed to the fight song is the more rah-rah um, music rendition. Um, what's your go-to karaoke song, Daydalian? Uh, my go-to karaoke song is because the only guy that I can sing like at all is Johnny Cash. Uh-oh. It is, uh, it's generally Ring of Fire just because I love that one, but I've, I've also been known to do uh, Folsom Prison Blues every once in a while too. Good stuff. Now I'm going to have that song. Now, now through, the, through the help of modern technology, whenever you want to play the song, you let me know. Okay, excellent. Because well, we've got we'll, the pep song ready to go. <laughs> excellent. We can end with that. Maybe. All right. Sounds That's good. Okay. Sounds good. But um, yeah, it's a uh, you know that was about you know with your music background. Uh, I can't go without saying I'm a big Bon Jovi fan. So living on a prayer. So is it, that your song when you do? Do you do karaoke? I love I love singing. Okay, uh, I right. was in the choir a little bit too in high school. I all went right. to a small school, so I was able to do all three: choir, band, and um, athletics. So I don't think I'm a singer, and, but I like to sing. And I, I don't. I'm, I have a hearing problem, so I don't always understand the lyrics. And my family gets mad at me because I make them up, and I think mine are sometimes better than the artist. <laughs> I love. Well, well, first of all, I don't. I don't. I don't think that's a hearing thing. I think that almost any lyrics you can mess up. I can tell you there have been times I've been doing karaoke with somebody, and I'm like, oh, is that what they say there? I didn't know that. And I think almost anybody can attest to that. That is true. And that's what's been nice about Google, that you can go on and, and search the lyrics if you need to understand it. And you're right. It's funny hearing what some people think mm-hmm. they said, and you, it, it kind of catches, and you, it might stick with you. So, again, just another way music is is instrumental in our society and, and helps, especially you know coming out of a pandemic, and you, hear all, you saw all the musicians step forward and, and have concerts and sing because it is good for the for the soul i will tell you that uh, steve miller's uh jungle love when i was growing up i used to sing as a kid chug a lug strawberry man he's driving me mad he's making me crazy <laughs> isn't that great can you remember that chug a lug <laughs> yeah exactly that's again that's even sometimes better than than the yes song, i agree so and, and even in today's society, you know, whether you have one of the platforms like XM Radio or Apple Music or Spotify or Pandora that you can tailor it like Greg Laddig's playlist or what I, Bon Jovi Radio. And, yeah. you know, that CPR last week and the instructor had Bon Jovi Radio on on playlist on the computer i'm thinking he's getting a high rating for me this is all good stuff keep playing all day buddy forget the cpr although that is life-saving this is this is good music in now, the now that isn't i believe it is the what is cpr where you do the heart yep, you, okay so is it queen's i thought it we was, will rock you is that what it is there's a couple i thought it was just supposed to go to the live i thought it was staying alive that would make sense too um happy Dude, birthday they, twice they said um, there was seemed like one of the Queen's Queen song. Maybe it was and Queen's another great band that had a lot of nice oh, sure. athletic. Uh, you know, we, we will rock, rock you. you. We, we are, are the, the champions. champions. Yeah. yeah, we can go on. And and wow, they have a, again Queen. And they uh, they the uh, one song I'm trying to think of it. It's kind of uh, gotten a refreshed one. I don't I don't know if it's actually been played at sporting events, but it's the uh, 
Yeah, I can't even think of it. You know, it'll come to me probably by the end of the show. But And the other neat thing is I talk about how we tailor these radio stations to our platform like 60s on the sixes. And the nice thing about athletic events is it's all genre. There's country music played out there. There's mm-hmm. 80s mm-hmm. rock. There's Eminem and ACDC mm-hmm. and, and rap. And it, it, it's pretty neat. It, it ties in a lot of different songs. Who would have thought that the songs we mentioned earlier would become popular at stadiums? They might not even been as popular on the radio. So right, right. again, it's pretty cool to, that, it, it, that it can be different genre that are played at. It's not just one that everyone has to, to listen to throughout the athletic event. Yeah. And sometimes you got to get tortured by them too. I th- do they still do tub thumping from uh, Chumbawamba back in the day? Um, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Greg's like, I got to lick that one up. <laughs> yeah, I do. But, but again, at each stadium, it, it can be either whoever's in charge of the music that determines that. But again, when I was at the hockey game, you could tell different songs that people were rallying behind, behind mm-hmm. and, you know, YMCA or, you know, ones that are crowd entered especially with video cameras now to get them dancing or something. So there's other motive there, too, for the entertainment of what music can provide. Throw a little trivia at you. 1985, what song was done by a professional team? 1985. Would have been the Bears? Yeah. Super Bowl Shuffle. <laughs> yeah, the Super yeah, Bowl that's Shuffle. Right. You know, they had the Icky Shuffle from the Cincinnati Bengals. You're right. Even athletes yep. have done their own songs. Oh, yeah. In the past. So that's what's cool. And that's what's neat when we talk about sports and music bringing together, but how much together they are without us even noticing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. So good. That's, I think, all I had regarding music and how important it is at, at our athletic events at LCC and all athletic events across the country. So maybe we'll end with the fight song. Yeah, we will. And I will say one more thing. When we put this uh, podcast together, the podcast radio show, I should say, I gave you guys full license to go ahead and pick whatever intro song and it fits well. And I, I will say that I had my doubts at first, but I will tell you that every single time I walk out of here, I sing that song for at least a little bit longer after you guys have left. So you picked a good one. That's good to hear. Well and done. The, well, you had a lot and we wanted something catchy and some <laughs> that kind of tied in the sports and you're right. It, I like it too. It, it has turned out well. And, and again, just another way music impacts you because I'll be singing ring of fire the rest of the <laughs> I love that song. All right, let's finish up with that pep song. Uh, this is taking you all the way back to what, 1960 something, we think. That's right, we'll find out.
goes on for it goes on for about another minute or so, but it's about a two minute song, and uh, yeah, just a little bit of nostalgia from back in the day. That is great stuff, and it's awesome that we have a fight song, and it'd be nice to get it out there. And you know, I don't know if we need to update it or not because I like I like the history of music too. So well, you can definitely tell that was pulled off a of vinyl there. So <laughs> hey, we love vinyl. It's classic forty five for you. So forty five well, spin. Well, again, this was an exciting conversation. You did an excellent job in filling in for Steven. So thank you to Dalian for joining me today. Happy to pitch hit. Did I get it right? Pitch hit? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay, good. <laughs> Very good. I can never remember if it's pitch or pinch. <laughs> again, just like music, what you hear. <laughs> well, again, thanks for joining us, everybody. And until next time, go Stars. Stars on Sports is recorded live at the WLNZ Studios. Engineering and production assistance are provided by Didalian Lowry. You can listen to this episode and other episodes of Stars on Sports on demand at lccconnect.org. To find more information about our athletic program, visit lccstars.com. Thanks for listening. Go Go Stars! Featuring the staff, faculty, students, and others that helped to make Lansing's Premier College what it is today. You're listening to LCC Connect. To find out more about our featured programs or to listen on demand, visit us at lccconnect.org. LCC Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. Academic success is a priority at Lansing Community College. And when assistance is needed, tutoring is available to all students. LCC's Tutoring Services has developed several options to work with students, including WebEx tutoring sessions, math exam prep parties, and the Writing Center. To find out more about Tutoring Services, visit lcc.edu tutoring. Hey, there he is. How's it going? I'm having a stroke. Are you going to shake my hand or what? I'm having a stroke. Wow, you're not even moving your arm. I'm having a stroke. Are you okay? I'm having a stroke. Your face looks weird, too. I'm having a stroke. Are you having a seizure or something? I'm having a stroke. When someone is having a stroke, they may not be able to say it with words, but their body language will tell you loud and clear. I'm having a stroke. You just need to know the sudden signs. Look for FAST, F-A-S-T. F, face drooping, A, arm weakness, or S, speech difficulty, then T, time. Time to call 911 immediately, because the sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment, and that can make a remarkable difference in their recovery. Know the sudden signs, face, arm, speech, time. Spot a stroke fast. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Lansing Community College's Fresh Start program forgives outstanding student balances, allowing students to re-enroll without penalty. Fresh Start does not apply to student loan creditors. Learn more at lcc.edu slash fresh start. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. This is Bob Myers from the Historical Society of Michigan with a Michigan History Moment. 
In the little Michigan towns of Osable and Oscoda, the summer of 1911 was hot and dry. Already the population of those towns was fading away. During the logging boom of the 1880s and 1890s, there were sawmills, logging camps, stores, hotels, churches, and banks. Some 10,000 people had lived there. When the loggers ran out of trees, people left. By 1911, only 2,000 residents remained. But the lumberjacks had left plenty of dried brush in their wake. Everyone knew it was a fire hazard. Newspapers warned that the tinder-dry pine brush was a disaster waiting to happen. Authorities and logging company owners paid little attention. Then, in July, with temperatures pushing 100 degrees, fire broke out. Westerly winds drove the flames through Oscoda and Osable. In Oscoda, volunteer firemen fought the blaze for 90 minutes until flames destroyed the pumping station. Hundreds of people waded into Lake Huron to escape the flames. Railroad cars took people to Tawas, Bay City, and Alpena. Relief vessels ferried people away until fire swept the docks. Only five people died in the fire, but 1,200 people were left with nothing. Local authorities requested food, clothing, and shelter. Donations from around the state arrived by rail, but authorities realized that the assistance would never meet the emergency. Governor Chase Osborne called out the Michigan National Guard. Within hours, the 3rd Infantry Hospital Corps was putting up tents and distributing blankets and ponchos. Guardsmen built a footbridge across the Osable River to provide access to supplies. Others helped salvage possessions and provided medical and sanitary services. As recovery continued, the 3rd Infantry's commanding officer, Captain Luther, arranged for the provision of building materials and household goods. The Osable and Oscoda fire established a new precedent. The state government would make extensive commitments to ensure that residents would recover from natural disasters. Oscoda gradually reestablished itself, thanks in part to construction work on a dam that provided employment. Osabel, however, lay in ruins and took decades to recover. In 1929, only 50 people still lived there. Today, Ascoda and Osabel are popular vacation destinations and retirement communities. This Michigan History Moment was brought to you by MichiganHistoryMagazine.org. Connecting you with Lansing Community College, this is LCC Connect. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. K-12 Operations at Lansing Community College is a proud collaborator of the Lansing Promise Scholarship, offering graduating high school seniors who live within the Lansing School District and attend a high school within district boundaries an opportunity to attend LCC. The scholarship offers 65 credits over the course of four years from high school graduation. For more information on the Lansing Promise Scholarship at LCC, please visit lcc.edu slash hope. Wake up and text. Text and eat. Mm -mm. Text and meet up with a friend you haven't seen in forever. Hi. Oh, hey. Text and complain that they're on their phone the whole time. <laughs> text and listen to them complain that you're on your phone the whole time. Uh. Text and whatever. 
but when you get behind the wheel, give your phone to a passenger, put it in the glove box, just don't text and drive. Visit StopTextsStopRex.org. A message from NHTSA and the Ad Council. What is dedication? People ask, how your children learn how to ride a bike and you didn't? I just created an environment where they taught themselves and all I had to do was be there. That's dedication. Visit Fatherhood.gov to hear more. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. The Job Training Center at Lansing Community College provides two-month job training opportunities that are free to eligible participants. Training courses range from information technology to administrative assisting. For more information, visit lcc.edu slash JTC training. LCC. Connect. Voices. Vibes. Vision. This is Teachable Moment, the show where we get to know the people that make LCC go. I'm Steve Robinson, president of Lansing Community College, and I go one-on-one with a member of our campus community to learn about a key concept or idea from their area of expertise. It's a show about what makes LCC great, the fantastic people with inspiring ideas who change lives every day with their incredible work. My guest today is Jim Luke, professor of economics here at LCC, and he's going to talk with us about this groundbreaking and innovative concept called the Open Learn Lab. Jim, welcome to the show. Hi, Steve. I'm glad to be here. Well, it's great to have you, and I'm very excited uh, to have this conversation about the Open Learn Lab. But before we get to that part of the show, I'd like to learn a little bit more about you. You're a professor of economics here at LCC. How long have you been at the college? Uh, this year's 20 years at LCC. Two zero. That's good. And uh, before that, I kind of danced. I, I had done some academic work at some other schools, but primarily before that was a couple of decades or more as in corporate world. I was a corporate strategist, planner, consultant, technology, kind of a guy that the folks, you know, management said, we don't understand this. Go figure it out and tell us what we ought to do. So a planning CQI background in, in a corporate world. And from an academic standpoint of being an, uh, an economist, that's got to really help in the classroom to have that uh, real world corporate experience when you're teaching economics. Oh, very much so. Very much so. Um, and it's a lot of it's a lot of great practice for uh understanding things from a systems level. Mm -hmm. And in fact, there's a direct lead in to how those two things intersected and led to the, not necessarily the open learning lab, but the very beginnings of me doing this stuff for open learning. Well, and I'm excited to talk about that, you know, but before we get to that part of the show though, I mean, I'd love to ask another question in the, in the classroom, that applied experience of, of your corporate work, you have to integrate that into your teaching. I mean, do you do you share examples, case studies from from your corporate work when you're when you're teaching principles in economics? Um, I, I used to when I I used to teach micro and macro. Mm-hmm. Um, I, micro, you get a lot more corporate experience type situations, and I used to do a lot more now. But now I've mostly been teaching macro, which is a less of here was here's the corporate example, but more of a benefiting from having to learn how things fit in the bigger picture and how the economy fits together, uh, companies or industries fit in as a, as a system into the economy. And that's, that's where the benefit is for macro now, how to interpret data as to what it really means. 
Yeah, and, and that's got to be super helpful in the classroom. And one of our differentiators as a sector in community colleges is, you know, we have great academics, but a lot of our faculty also have a lot of primary, uh, you know, corporate experience. And so you really have married both of those in your teaching. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, in addition, in addition to your work in the classroom, though, I, I know that you've been super active in a lot of other things here at LCC. You're here 20 years. You've been very active in our academic Senate, right? So you're a senator. I'm, I'm trying to remember your exact role. You're, you're currently on the academic Senate, correct? I'm currently on the academic Senate, although at the end of this year, I'll be stepping, stepping back from my seat. Um, I was... Alex Azima, the first academic Senate president, and I have kind of joked that I was President Zero. President Zero? It's like patient zero. <laughs> right. You know, he was he was when the Senate began in 2013, he was the first president. But for the two years prior to that, um, LCC went through a very, very big, very participative uh, strategic planning uh, process and reflection. Uh, about a lot of issues, and that's when collectively we decided to have an academic senate as well as a lot of other parts. And I had led, I had taken some reassigned time. Mm -hmm. Given my corporate background in planning, the provost at the time had asked me, hey, rather than LCC going out and paying a consultant, why don't we use the talent we have? So I had spent two years essentially the same kind of issues and then segued into into the senate as a senator and so i've been heavily in, involved in that kind of governance so in the run-up to the senate, so you're president zero or the proto president maybe right 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 that would right, be another yeah. one hey and before we get to your teachable moment uh you're also super <clears throat> active on twitter and this is i, I think this is so academic Twitter to me is a higher ed Twitter is a great space. And so uh, Twitter, I think, is a, an important part of your life as an academic. Can you talk about that a little bit? Oh, yeah. Um, it's it, I think it's changed my life. I mean, it is fantastic. Mm -hmm. And it's a secret weapon. I you know, the network I've established now I'm I'm collaborating on academic uh, books and papers with folks not only all across the U.S., but uh, Canada, Ireland, the U.K., North Africa, or uh, South Africa, um, and it's it's even Australia. I mean, I a, a little a little sub nugget of that is uh, anecdote. I went to a conference, open ed conference. Uh, I think this was in 2016, and I'm thinking I'm still you know. I mean, you know, I'm thinking, oh, I'm just a community college professor uh, teaching economics. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you go to big academic conferences, community college professors aren't always afforded the greatest respect. That's true. Uh, <laughs> I can sp speak from personal experience. So I go to this one session and there's a woman from Australia, Kate Bowles, who I had read about and seen through Twitter just an absolute brilliant scholar. Um, I, I just learned so much from her and what she wrote and her blogs and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, like a groupie, I come up to her <laughs> afterwards, you know, after the session and I'm walking up to her and I'm waiting patiently while others talk to her and I get my turn in front of her and I start asking my question and she does this, uh, you know, she kind of pauses and, and she looks over and she looks down at my name tag uh, you know, hanging off of, uh, you know, on the lanyard and goes econ prof. 
which is my Twitter handle. Right. Oh, you're econ prof. Oh, how great to meet you. That's awesome. And I love like, that story. Whoa. That's so, so true. Yeah. There is a kind of an equalizing factor on Twitter for higher ed, right? It's a sort of a marketplace of ideas. If you can, you know, that's very equalizer and it brings, I mean, we talk about global perspectives, mm -hmm. but there's nothing like participating in it. Yeah, that's a, probably an amazing pivot point to talking about their open learning lab. So the reason, one of the reasons I wanted to have you on the show is so you could explain this really cool idea. And of course you're going to have to, uh, you know, discipline yourself to think about somebody who's never heard about this before. And I'm sure you've explained this all the time, but let me just ask point blank. What is LCC's Open Learn Lab? This is the hardest question I've had since we started it. And it's actually the question that's been, I've constantly asked myself is what is it? And the answer depends on, you can look at it. It's kind of like that elephant you know, they talk about with a blind man. It depends on which aspect you want to look at it. There's a technology aspect of it. Okay. From a technology standpoint, what it amounts to is that our Center for Teaching and Ex Teaching Excellence, which is how we support faculty professional development and pedagogy improvement, teaching and learning improvement in the school. Mm -hmm. From a technology standpoint, we have a regular plain web server or access to a web server, um, such as anybody can go, you know, do commercially. And we can provide websites to faculty, staff, students. Even the president. Full disclosure, list, dear listener, uh, <laughs> Professor Luke set up my blog. My president's blog runs <laughs> off the Open Learning Lab. And that is what it's about. Is mm -hmm. It's about providing what I call a scholarly commons, providing a space a digital space that's public, that is, it's not the official school website, you know, which is of necessity and appropriately a whole lot of policy and mixed in with a little bit of marketing. Why don't you come here and exactly. enroll? Yeah. I mean, it's the company line and you need that. I mean, there, that needs to be there. There's a whole lot of other technology in a college that's all closed, that's all behind firewalls, like uh, the learning management system that you use, um, the tran you know, what we call the student information system, which is keeps track of transcripts and your records, right. and, you know, and the accounting system, all that stuff. This is separate. This is the school. It's like the digital equivalent of the school going, we're going to take care of this public sidewalk and we're going to make it available to the public so that our scholars, our teachers, our staff, our students, because that's a big thing with me. Our students, our scholars right. can show off, showcase their stuff, what they create, the show, they can be scholars, they can do their stuff. And from that, so that's the tech side of it. Okay, so there, that's the technology component of it. And, and, and what's next? Layered on top of that is what we had to do was in, kind of invent or develop. So how do you help faculty and students take advantage of this resource mm -hmm. in a way that improves teaching and learning? Okay. How do you get them the skills to do it, to use the tech? Mm -hmm. How do you support 
them to do things. And, and that's where we've actually, I think, had a lot of success and innovation here um, with what we're doing is we've developed methods, what I call running errands for ideas, as this is how we deal with faculty and staff. And as a result, what's come out is what I'd, I'd kind of summarize the whole thing. You know, if, if someone were from another school, I'd say what we've created, mm -hmm. we didn't know we were doing this at the time, but we have, is we've created a teaching innovation, teaching and learning incubator. So to me, that there's so much embedded what you said, and it's fascinating. So on the front end of the technology, if I heard you correctly, you're almost talking about this middle domain or brackish water between the, the corporate style website, lcc.edu, which is, you know, like you said, necessarily about marketing and promotion. And, uh, and on the other side are closed systems, uh, which, you know, are mm -hmm. for, you know, particular business or on enterprise purposes. There's this middle ground that you called a commons or a sidewalk where creative academic scholarship and teaching happen. So, so it's the, this middle area. Yeah. It's an, it's, it's like a nurturing environment where people are scholars. Again, mm -hmm. our faculty, our staff, our students can, can plant seeds and blossom and develop their own identity on the World Wide web a digital identity of themselves as scholars. Mm -hmm. And you must, and I've checked them out, so I've seen a bunch of them, but you must have some favorite seeds that have sprouted interesting things in, in, in the years you've been doing this. Can you give me one or two examples, or listeners, one or two examples of some examples of, uh, you know, scholarship that's sprouted up on this sidewalk or commons? Yeah, I, there's a lot of these. I'm sure there are. Let me start with one real tiny example um, that... When I was playing around with this kind of open learning stuff in my own course, mm -hmm. um, that really put me over the over the top on on doing it, and and then talk about a lot more examples that we've got that other faculty have created. So at one point, I was teaching a class called uh, Comparative Economic Systems, and you know, it's, it's, you know, we look at socialism and communism and a bunch of stuff like that. Got it. It's um, kind of a survey course of, of different types of economic systems. And what I did was I set up a WordPress site. Mm -hmm. This is publicly available. It's just an ordinary blog. Right. Um, so I had students, and I gave a, a blog site to each student in the class. Mm -hmm. Their name, they could... Uh, relatively easy, you know, decorate it, change whatever they wanted on it. But the catch was we had certain writing assignments for the class for the semester. Mm -hmm. And they would write on their blog instead of submitting a paper to me. They're going to write on a blog. So it's visible publicly. Now, realistically, you know, it's not necessarily going to be seen by millions of people. No, it no, but, but it could be. It could be. Yeah. Two things happened right away. First one was, this was the first time I had made this kind of assignment where they're going to write in public. And I had taught the course before in the ordinary fashion of what's called a disposable assignment by David Wiley, where you write the paper, you submit it to the professor, you hope the professor spends more than five minutes reading it, and you know that no one else in the world will ever see that paper again. Right. <laughs> What I noticed was the quality of the writing and the effort that students put into it went way up instantly because the writing mattered. Mm -hmm. 
They were saying something to the world. Publishing. They were publishing. Right. And then, I mean, you know, so one of them is a first, one student, this is about Thanksgiving, there's a, you know, goes home to dinner, you know, extended family. This is a first of, uh, in family of any type in college. Mm-hmm. And tells the extended family, aunts and uncles, what they'd done. And instantly he's a hero. Yeah. Because, you know, nobody in the family had ever published. Has a website. <laughs> Anybody a website. in the world could look at it. And the other one that really put me over the top was I had a very shy student, young student, immigrant, had originally been from Cuba, um, not real comfortable with with our language, you know, with the English language Uh as second language. And she didn't really want to do the assignment. She was afraid of it. She was, you know, we talked about it and then she was all full of, oh, you know, I have nothing to say. Nobody wants to, you know, I have nothing to say that anybody else is interested in. It's comparative economic systems. And I'm thinking to myself, you grew up in Cuba. Absolutely. Right. There's a subject matter expertise <laughs> sitting right there. So I, you know, so I said, well, tell me about Cuba. Right. What do you remember about Cuba when you were young or what would somebody notice? And she starts talking about the cars. And of course, you know, the, the 1950s cars lived on forever because of the embargo. And I said, write about that. Find a couple of images on the web that you can, you know, open license, you can embed. Write about that. Oh, my God. She turned into the hero of the class for a while because everybody wanted to, hadn't heard about this. And they want to ask her questions. And, and, and what a gift as a teacher, right? Because you can teach out of the textbook about, you know, the embargo and, you know, everything about uh, the Cuban economy. But to have the lived experience of a student right there in the class, it has to be an incredible asset in in building a shared understanding in the class. Right. And so now I'll go to, that was something I did a long time ago, do do a situation that a couple of years ago, Joe Escabel teaches in biology. Okay. Uh, And Joe worked with us. Joe created a, uh, he did most of the work, actually. We just provided some guidance. And he creates a website. And again, this is open to the public. It's like everything in Open Learning Lab. Everything is some variation on openlcc.net. He gets, creates this website, and he calls it a wiki. Last I looked, there's over 500 diseases or medical conditions listed. And they're all sorted out and they're alphabet, you know, uh, sub-alphabetized and stuff like that. It's not totally complete, but what's happening is gradually, as his classes go on and on, Mm -hmm. students pick a disease and they write a post or page that goes in there permanently. Now, we're not giving medical advice. You know, we're, we're not doing that. We're not a med school. Right. But these are, are these are pages where students do the research to find out what is living with this disease like. Interesting. So, you know, that that's a great pivot point for another po- question I want to ask. You could maybe go deeper on that particular project because I was going to ask you about that first word in Open Learning Lab. And that's the open part, right? Yes. So talk a little bit about how the openness of this biology wiki about diseases is kind of a 
a propellant for this? That's what I hear you saying is that the openness is, is a key part of the design. What does it do for assignment or a activity like that to be open? Well, there's a lot of battles, not battles, but there's a lot of discussion and has been for years in higher ed circles about just what does open mean or what is open education, open learning? Yeah. Well, what does um, it mean to you? On, on one aspect is it's important of what we call OER, open educational resources, right. that the materials that are used be the kind of thing that are openly licensed so they can be reused, saved, remixed, customized. Um, I think that's an important part of open learning. But for me, that's the beginning. What I've come to figure out in the uh, running, starting the Open Learn Lab is I like the term open learn or open learning as opposed to open education because it puts the emphasis on the activity. It puts the emphasis on the verbs. And to me, open means maybe a way to look at this is it's, it's open and connected. Mentally, I think of it as is in a way we're opening the classroom door. Mm -hmm. Historically, Maybe a better way of thinking of this is, so what's the opposite? Well, the opposite would be somewhat closed, fixed education. Things where what happens in the class ends at the end of the semester. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, the class stands alone. So students don't connect as easily what they're learning in that class. So it becomes very easy to do what like, what, what my colleague Jeff Janowick talked about, you know, punishment where you end up just memorizing stuff and then regurgitating it. Open doesn't do that. Open's about making connections. And so open could be that you're right, you're connecting to the public. Mm -hmm. You're publishing for the public. Or like like Joe Esquivel's wiki site, um, where we've already had some feedback from just people in the broader community reading that and then sending thanks for, oh my gosh, now I understand what my four-year-old son is experiencing. So so this artifact of the learning process can actually be instructive or helpful for folks, is what I hear you saying. It, it has a Absolutely. life beyond a life beyond a particular course or assignment. Yes. And that and so that we've got the capability to help students connect what they're learning in one class to what they're learning in another class, to connect what they're learning and see like, like what, you, what we opened up with about the corporate experience, to see the application, to see the connection to their own community. And at the same time, to be able to share the materials so that others can take it and connect off of it and, and bring everything together. So it's, there's a lot of dimensions to open. <laughs> yeah, but and and but it comes full circle to what we're all here for, right? I mean, you look at our Absolutely. mission statement. We're 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 trying to grow lifelong learning, and the, to have these experiences last beyond a particular assignment or classroom is is interesting to me. Hey, one last idea about this, because as you know, one of the originators, the instigator of the Open Learn Lab, you and your colleagues built something that has changed over time, right? So my, my question, last question, I think, would be, what's, what's the future of an open uh, space uh, or commons for learning like this one? Where do you see this going in the next uh, several years? 
<laughs> for an economist, that's interesting wording because now I'm going, so am I supposed to forecast how I think it's going to go or how I want it to go? That's a great uh, clarification. <laughs> I'm not I'm not making you put on your green eye shade and give me an economic <laughs> forecast. Uh, why don't you why don't I frame the question this way? Yeah. Well, what are your hopes and aspirations for Open Learning Lab? How about that? my hope? My aspiration is that we can continue to we can make these kinds of experiences available to all our students and all of our faculty so that they can make their class and their learning experiences fit for them um, rather than trying to squeeze people into a you know lockstep kind of fixed curriculum fixed experience and what i would really want to do and this is this is the focus of what i've been writing on lately is i think we being a community college and us as lcc as the starters on this i think if other community colleges do the same thing we can connect there's ways to build the connections digitally we don't all have to be under the same corporate organization but we can build these connections much better between schools. One example, you know, we had a colleague at a, teaches at a uh, uh, Native American tribal community college mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and teaches a business, you know, teaches a business kind of course. And he and I were once talking about, we are, we're not there to do this yet, but talking about, wouldn't it be great? It's essentially the same course we have, and it's the same course that any community college in a business program is going to have. Uh-huh. What if we could just have a project in the course where students from all three schools are participating together virtually on that project? Yeah. So rather than That's being going to teach some diversity. Yeah. And, and rather than being unconnected colleges doing the same thing, these three colleges are then nodes on a network um, synergizing exactly. off of one another. And then eventually, because um, I always have a long, long term view. Yeah is um, UNESCO a couple of years ago um, made open education uh, one of their major goals and committed to it. And what I would like to see is they're talking in terms of not just education, but what they call the glam sector, galleries, libraries, and museums. And I think the same kind of thing where let's build this network where community colleges are nodes, but let's pull in all of these, you know, as a way to connect in this network, you know, there's lots of lesser museums. Everything doesn't have to be the peak of a hierarchy. It doesn't have to be, you know, the New York Museum of Modern Art. Right. You know, there could be, you know, there's a couple of them in, in, in Lansing. Um, exactly. Just, and pull them in. And get folks doing real learning, real exercises, um, activities about things that are meaningful in their lives and in their communities. Real learning about things in their lives that matter to them. I, that's probably there's probably no better way to end this conversation than a phrase like that. Jim, thank you so much for spending some time explaining this real hub of innovation here at LCC. Thanks for your work and in instigating it and bringing it into being. It's been wonderful to hear about it. Thanks. Thank you. Teachable Moment is recorded by Steve Robinson and produced in the WLNZ studio on the downtown campus of Lansing Community College. The soundtrack is licensed through DeWolf Music and was composed by John Rowcroft. 
Want more Teachable Moment? Be sure to tune in to future episodes. And if you have an idea you'd like to discuss with me on the show, send me an email at steve.robinson at lcc.edu. Until next time, keep learning. You're listening to LCC Connect on WLNZ Lansing 89.7. This has been a presentation of LCC Connect, a weekly program that features the voices, vibes, and vision of Lansing Community College. All shows featured on LCC Connect are recorded at the WLNZ studio located on LCC's downtown campus. Each program is podcast-based and can be heard anytime at lccconnect.org. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on one of our shows, connect with us by emailing lcc-connect at lcc.edu.